Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your ancestors, Terah and his sons Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates and served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in its mists, and afterwards I brought you out. When I brought your ancestors out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your ancestors with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. When they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them, and your eyes saw what I did to Egypt. Afterwards, you lived in the wilderness a long time. And then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I handed them over to you, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then King Balak, son of Zippor of Moab, set out to fight against Israel. He sent and invited Balaam, son of Beor, to curse you, but I would not listen to Balaam. And therefore he blessed you. So I rescued you out of his hand. And when you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, the citizens of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I handed them over to you. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove out before you the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and towns that you had not built, and you live in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive yards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I want to begin with a question. And I want you to think about it in your own mind, your own heart. Do you have a place? Do, do you have a, a, a place? Is there some locale, some geographical setting that has a special standing in your life? 
maybe even a, a, a spiritual quality for you. Maybe it's a place where you discovered your life's passion. Maybe it's a place where, where you discovered who you wanted to be and what you wanted to do when you would finally grow up. Or maybe it's a place where you discovered a community or friendships that changed your life. Friendships that, that formed you in, in large ways into who you are today. Or maybe it's a place where you've met your life partner, your, your spouse, that place where you first fell in love. Or maybe it's a place where you shared a powerful experience with your family. Maybe it's the home that you grew up in. Maybe it's the home where you raised your kids. Perhaps it's a place where you encountered God for the first time. Maybe it's a place where you, you realized that God was real for the very first time. Or maybe it's a place where something ended, or something was finished, or, or a place where you had to say goodbye. Do you have places like that? Are you thinking about those places right now? Those places in your life where, where if you're physically there, if you were to go there right now, even as you go there in your own mind, the world makes sense, right? You remember what life is, is all about. It's, it's a place where you can easily differentiate rather what is important and what is inconsequential, a place where you recognize and can name in clear and certain terms the gifts that God has, has given you, the blessings that God has poured out in your life. And when you're at that place, right, when you're, when you're there, your priorities just come online. And everything else that doesn't matter, when you're at that place, everything else that really doesn't matter, it just, it just begins to fade away. Are you, are you thinking about that place in your own life? You know, for many of us, I, I wouldn't be surprised for many of us, as I was running through that litany and, and inviting you to think about that place, you may have been thinking about this place, right? This church, this Community, this campus at the corner of 16th and Peachtree Streets is so much more than the buildings that occupy these grounds. This is, for many of us, our place. For, for some of us, it's becoming our place. And this people, this, this community, this church is like family for us. It's a place where we have met God. It's a place where we have developed some of the most meaningful friendships in our life. It's a place where we've heard the gospel and have been encouraged to live it out, not just inside of these walls, but out in the world where God has led us and where God has called us to love and bless. It's a place where we have reimagined our priorities when we see the, the babies baptized and brought into the congregation, we begin to remember what it's all about. It's a place where we have supported each other through challenging days. It's a place where we've had hard conversations, where we haven't always agreed with each other. We've been pushed by our difference and encouraged by that difference. And it's a place where we've been inspired to think more like Christ, 
It's been a place where we've been inspired to act more like Christ. It is a place when it comes down to it for many of us. It's a place we call home. It's home. The, the ancient Israelites, they had many sacred spaces. They had many sacred places. And one of those places for them, for the ancient community of God, one of their sacred spaces was the city of Shechem. And among the notable happenings and occurrences that took place in that city, Shechem would have been most revered because it was the place where God made God's covenant with Abram. It's kind of where it all started. Many of you know this story. God called Abram to sojourn from the city of Ur in in present-day Iraq and to travel about a 1,000 miles, a 1,000 miles from present-day Iraq into the Holy Land, into the land of Canaan. And Abram, under the call of God, begins his quest. And it's in Genesis 12 that we're told that Abram came to the city of Shechem. That he came to this Canaanite city, and it was there that God made God's promise with him, and in a very clear way said, this land, Abram, this land, you will have many offspring. This land, this land I will give to you and to your descendants. Abram then did something, kind of a first in that city. He built an altar and had the first worship service for Yahweh in the city of Shechem. It was a sacred space, a powerful space. Some of the ancient mystics may call it a thin place where where heaven and earth intersect. We got to fast forward about 350 years, and we meet Joshua. We meet Joshua, who was chosen to be the leadership heir to Moses. Remember, it was Moses that led the people out of of slavery in Egypt, and it was, it was Moses, it was Moses that led them throughout their wandering in the wilderness. The understatement of this text from Joshua 24 is when Joshua says, remember, we were there for a long time. Forty years Moses was leading the people, but it was Joshua, it was Joshua whose name means God saves. It was Joshua who actually led the people across the Jordan River to the land that God had promised Abram to settle there and to receive the gifts that God had promised to give. And so we pick up this story in Joshua 24. We're skipping the first 23 chapters of Joshua going right to the end. Joshua 24 and this great leader is nearing the end of his life. He's in the sunset moments of life. And he has this moment to put a contemporary spin on it and to quote Bob Buford. It's, it's kind of his success to significant moment. Significance moment, right? It wants to leave something of significance to the people he has led. He wants to bring a word. It's going to be his final word. It's going to be his last sermon. This is it. This is his farewell speech. Now, the context of this speech is interesting because things had drastically changed for the people of God 
in this moment compared to where they had come from, okay? Because now they were no longer wanderers. They were no longer nomads. They, they actually had a home. They moved from homelessness to having a place to call home. They had gone from peril and danger to safety and security. And Joshua, in preparing his notes for this speech, I think is ever mindful of what can happen to a people, what can happen to a community, when prosperity and security and relative peace begin to be experienced. I want to introduce a, more of a contemporary illustration to make this point. It comes from author Jim Collins, a great uh, uh, leadership thinker in our time. He, he wrote this book called How the Mighty Fall. Some of you have read this, How the Mighty Fall. And basically what he says is there are five stages that a company goes through to solidify their decline. There are five stages that you can, then you could trace in a company's life as they decline. And the first stage, he says, is a hubris or arrogance born from success. A hubris or an arrogance born from success. Companies will begin to look at their success and begin to think that they're entitled to it. And the things that they once did to work for it to press for it, to engage it, whether it was creating a particular culture or, or a particular ethic or particular habits within that company, they begin to lose sight of what brought them success in the first place. And I want to draw the parallel here because I think in some ways, as you read between the lines in, in Joshua's farewell address, that he too is concerned about a complacency. He's concerned about an arrogance that could emerge because things are going really well. The people have settled in and he is worried that the community of faith will forget the reason they've been successful, the reason they are where they are. And so his farewell speech details the point. He says, God is the reason for our success. It's basically what he goes through in recounting this history. God's the reason for our success. God's the reason we have a place to call home. God is the reason we have survived as people through slavery and through a nomadic existence. So friends, over, over the course of, of three Sundays, this Sunday and the next two, we're going to spend time. We're going to spend some time in Joshua 24. We're going to have it in front of us, not just this Sunday, but the following two Sundays. And I'm going to invite us to allow Joshua's farewell speech to work on us. I want it to work on us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a particular type of work that we'll be considering. It's a work that continuously must take place in our lives and in our church if we are to be found faithful to the God who is our success, who is the reason we are a community in the first place who is the reason we have been a congregation for 168 years, the reason that for many of us, this place is home. To be mindful of the work that the Holy Spirit might want to do in us. And it's framed in a word that, that we don't always hear in sort of Presbyterian context, but I think is most appropriate. 
And it's this notion of renewal, of renewal. It's the Holy Spirit moving in us to rekindle our faith, to reinvigorate our commitment to participating in what God is doing in and through this body, and to be open to a new word that God is ready to speak into your life and into my life and into our community's life that will change us, that will move us into these next seasons of ministry. You see, I think a church like ours, here's the parallel, right? I think a church like ours is very similar to the community that Joshua, Joshua was speaking to. Very similar, right? I mean, God has been so good to us as a church. Just nod your head if you're with me on that. God has been so good to us. God has been faithful to us. God has given us this home, our own Shechem, our own thin place, our own community to steward, to practice faith and life together. And things in this place are good. Things are good. Ministry and mission are happening all over the place. Lives are being changed. We are finally fully staffed, thanks be to God, <laughs> with what I believe to be one of the most talented staffs of any church in this country. And like the people of God under Joshua's leadership, th there can be a moment where we are tempted toward complacency or arrogance, thinking that we have done something great here. There is a moment where we may lose focus of the reason why we're here in the first place. Even though things are strong in this place, in our Shechem, as they were strong in Shechem during Joshua's time, even though things are strong, we still need to be continually converted. We still need renewal each and every day. For how easy is it in our time and in our place and our culture to lose sight of the priority of the relationship that we have with God and what kind of, uh, of leading that should be in our life as we go about our day-to-day -day existence making choices, Choices that we're called to make to serve and to honor God and one another. I mean, how soon will it be when sports schedules and social events and the busyness of life becomes the excuse as to why we're not here on a Sunday morning? Or why we're not participating in that service project or going on that mission trip or, or participating in a small group or a Sunday school class or spending time in prayer Investing in our time, in our relation, investing time rather in our relationship with God, right? I mean, right. This is this is the day to talk about this, right? Because outside of Christmas and Easter, this is a big day. Hey, right? we've gone to three services now. We're full. People are here. We'll have over a thousand people today, either live on campus and streaming online. The community is strong. Things are fresh. Things are feeling good. We're, we're feeling good about the church, aren't we? We're feeling good about our church. The community is strong, which is precisely why we need to be mindful of our need for renewal. I know that sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? It sounds completely counterintuitive, but it is precisely in line with what the gospel calls us to do. It's a continual conversion. No Christian, no church ever arrives. We're here, we finished it, we figured it out. We're, 
we're done. This renewal actually perpetuates the strength. It perpetuates the community. It perpetuates the mission. And so we're constantly making ourselves open to the Holy Spirit to move and work in our lives. You see, Joshua's speech, his last sermon, is all about renewal. It's all about renewal. He calls the people together, right? He's got this sort of uh, presidential state of the union address moment, right? He's got everybody. Did you hear how Katie read it? Everybody came. All the tribes, all the elders, all the heads, and judges and officers, they all come together to do what? To worship God. Because worship is at the core of our renewal. To worship God. And this worship service takes place at Shechem, where the first worship service to Yahweh took place. Joshua doesn't pick that place randomly, right? He, he wants people to know. He wants people to know that this is about knowing who this God is and what this God has done if we are going to be faithful in the years ahead. And it's at this point where Joshua's farewell address, if he was a Presbyterian, he's gonna have a three-point sermon. Here's his first point. We'll do the next two in the subsequent weeks. Here's his first point, right? Spiritual renewal, he's, he's, I think he's saying, spiritual renewal is deeply connected to the practice of remembering your past. If we want to be renewed, if we want our faith to be rekindled, our community life to be rekindled, and to have this continual conversion, we have to remember our past. You know, on this, the, the 15th anniversary of the September 11th attacks, the, the charge to remember our past invites a much wider meaning, right? I mean, even for us to, it was intentional to focus on this topic today, to remember our our past, because we knew this day landed, this Sunday landed on the 15th anniversary of 9-11, right? And these two words that we associate with this event and many other tragic events in our history, horrific events in our history, these two words, you know the words, right? Never forget. Never forget. Never forget what happened in New York, in Washington, in Stony Creek Township, Pennsylvania. This is not an unpatriotic question. This is actually a question of reason, why is it that we should never forget? I mean, if you ask somebody, why is it that we should never forget what happened 15 years ago? Some would say that this memory would motivate us, right? It motivates us to make sure that we are doing all that we can to keep people safe, to shore up our, our security measures, because something like that, we were vulnerable, something like that can happen again. And so, and so we, we're motivated by remembering to, to pursue security. Others say that this memory motivates us to, to honor the almost 3,000 people that were killed that day. It motivates us to, to do the honorable thing, to call to mind their life and the gift that they were to their families, to their communities, and to this nation. Others, if you say, why should we never forget? They would say, well, our memory of 9-11 and the, and the days after 9-11 motivate us to pursue the unity and the harmony that we experience, despite our differences. Do you remember that time? How different that time looks from this time. And that memory should motivate us to pursue unity and to pursue harmony, despite our difference. And for all these reasons, and probably for many more, we should never forget, right? Never forget. And as I was thinking about this anniversary and I was thinking about Joshua's charge for us to remember, to remember who God is, to remember the origin of, of our success, to remember how it is that we came to be in a Shechem moment like we are right now, I, I thought about 
what our memory produces when we think of God's faithfulness? What motivation was Joshua trying to elicit by, by running through this litany of what God had done? It's a long text. And all that God had done, what was Joshua trying to elicit? I think there's a motivation to memory. I think that's one of the gifts that memory brings, right? It brings a motivation to act, to do something. And I think the first thing that Joshua is calling to mind, among many other things, but the first thing is that the memory motivates us to pursue humility, doesn't it? It reminds us, hey, you didn't do this. You didn't do this. God did this. There's a great line in the text as you pick it up. It said, you didn't get this land because of your sword or because of your bow. Did you hear that line? I did this. God's saying, I did this. And it reminds us, one of the most important pieces of Presbyterian theology, here it is. God is God and I'm not. God is God and I'm not. God is the origin of our success. I love how C.S. Lewis describes humility. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. And I would add, and thinking about God more. So that's one thing. Our memory motivates us to humility, to remember how it is that we got here in the first place, only by God's grace and by God's leading the Holy Spirit. And, and second, and I'll close with this. We are motivated by our memory, not only to be humble, but we're motivated by our memory to commit to God because we remember how God has committed to us. I love that we had baptism today as well. This all fit together in God's gracious plan for the service today. Because is there any other event that, that calls to mind God's commitment to us? Even before we can speak a word, even before we can hold our head up straight, God says, I'm committed to you. I love you. I'll be your God. You will be my people. And that memory of God's faithfulness and fidelity motivates us, right, to commitment. And I can't think of a better day on this sort of third big Sunday of the year, right? Really second big Sunday. But this day when everybody comes back, it's sort of like back to church day, right? I can't think of a better challenge for my own life and for our life as a community than to think about what God's fidelity and faithfulness is doing in terms of our commitment to God. This may be a season for us to be renewed and to, to make a commitment, to renew a commitment, to rekindle a commitment. Maybe it's a commitment to seek God's presence in your life every day. To, to realize that God just doesn't live here on Sundays, that God is out in the world. Maybe it's a commitment, and this may be a challenge for some of us, it's a commitment to be in worship every Sunday when we're in Atlanta. Every Sunday we're gonna be in worship because this is our Shechem, and we need you, and we need each other. Maybe it's a commitment to start giving more, more money or more time to the ministry and mission of the church, both inside these walls and outside of them, more than you've ever had before. It's a commitment maybe to befriend the poor or the outcast, the marginal, to visit the sick or the forgotten. It's a commitment maybe to begin each day in prayer and in gratitude for what God has given. Maybe it's a commitment to work for justice and righteousness and peace in our city and throughout the world. 
What commitment, what commitment will the memory of God's faithfulness in your life, what commitment will the memory of God's commitment to us inspire in you? What will inspire in you? This is the time. You're here. This is the season. What will it inspire in you? Friends, as we begin this next chapter of our faith and our life together, as we gather in our Shechem, may we remember and may we be renewed for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world and all of God's people say, amen.